Hello, my fellow neighbors to Ocean Avenue, an adult animated comedy podcast, and I'm your host, Donnie. Today's episode is premiere night, and I'm going to be reviewing Bob's Burgers Season 14, Episode 6, Escape from Witch Island, and The Simpsons Season 35, Episode 6, Iron Marge. And don't forget, we're going to do Family Guys Season 22, Episode 5, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Then at the end of the episode, we're going to do a wrap up, and we're going to choose the winner of the night. Before we get this episode started, let's take a quick break and we come back. We're going to start off with Bob's Burgers. Welcome back. Hopefully you had a very fun Sunday. I was a little bit too busy. I didn't have enough time to do an outline, but I did get a chance to catch the episodes on premiere night. I just didn't get around to doing an episode because I was dog tired. (laughs) So um, I did get some, I didn't make an outline because I just didn't have enough time. But I did went to fandom and I did find their stories, uh, you know, like their little wrap ups, and I'm going to read those. So right now I'm going to bobs burgersfandomcom and going to read their synopsis for the episode. I forgot to mention that Escape from Witch Island from season 14, episode six. And here it goes. The Belchers have the news at the restaurant's TV on and Scott Bax is giving the weather report. He announces a storm is on, on the East Coast could move and affect their area. When Mr. Fishholder arrives in his golf cart and enters a restaurant, Linda turns off the news. Bob is worried Mr. Fishholder came about came about their rent. I guess that's what they wrote. But their landlord actually came to ask Bob if he was busy this weekend. Calvin needs Bob to be his private chef for private cooking at a private location. He has also has an he also eerily gives Bob an NDA form since the Belgers told his landlord that he won't be busy. Interesting. Mr. Fishholder clarifies that Bob will be catering his flapping, which is fancy camping. Even at the event of the secret club at the secret club of powerful members, Louise asks if Mr. Fishholder is in the Illuminati and reveals that his organization is actually called the Babylon League. He also adds that his expedition will decide the club's next president. After Calvin tells Bob about the organization will do at the trip, Bob no longer wants to cater to his landlord. However, Mr. Fishholder is desperate since every other member is bringing their chef. So Linda asks him to give them $973 or the exact amount for a new condenser in their walk-in freezer. So and for Bob's, she wanted that money for Bob's service. I'm sorry, I did not write this outline. Mr. Fishholder attempts, uh, accepts Linda's offer and Bob reluctantly signs the NDA. Linda remembers Scott Bagg's weather report and asks if there's going to be a problem for the camping trip, but Mr. Fishholder gives a vague, unhelpful response. As he leaves, the landlord tells Bob to make a custom cocktail for the event. Mr. Fishholder and Bob are at the pier and Bob is packing items on his landlord's speedboat. Mr. Fishholder gives Bob a blindfold and tells the Belchers to cover his eyes with it. Bob gets on the motorboat and has difficulty since he's blindfolded. Calvin drives them to an undisclosed location. When they reach the island, the land, Mr. Fishholder makes Bob drag their supplies while still being blindfolded. He begrudgingly permits Bob to take, take his mask off, you know, his blindfold off when here walking up a cliff. Bob is horrified because he was blindfolded and he could have tripped and died. Every, however, the landlord was apathetic to Bob and makes them resume their walk. Calvin gets Bob to set up his tent and take out his supplies. The landlord asks Bob if he made a custom cocktail as he told him to, and Bob is proud to announce he created the Lee of X Brinerary Gentleman with gin, mint, and a dash of pickle juice. Mr. Fishholder tastes and enjoys it, but renames the drink Ring-a-Ding, 
Bob follows his landlord and carries the cocktail pitcher as he shows Bob and the other members of the Babylon League. Some of them are Calvin's friends who built gingerbread houses with him in the last gingerbread house on the left. August Schaeferheimer tells Mr. Fishoder that he shouldn't have brought Bob to the sacred circle where chefs aren't allowed to be. August decides to judge if Bob gets to stay by tasting Bob's cocktail. After tasting it, Calvin's friend immediately changes his mind about Bob. None of the Calvin's friends remember Bob, but Rudolph Brackenbrown almost does. Brackenbrown starts boasting about his chef Sergio from Sergio. I don't know why I wrote that. And has he oh how he only eats llamas now. Okay. The organization members decide to let their chefs cook then, so Calvin authorizes Bob to return to their tent. As it gets darker, the storm that Scott bags foreshadows from the beginning approaches the island after Bob cooks Mr. Fishholder's dinner and Calvin eats it with other Babylonians. Calvin returns to the tent and Bob cleans up the mess he was he made while cooking. The landlord compliments the Belcher's cooking and he randomly mentions how he and other club members took a lot of drugs while at the dinner. Mr. Fishholder tells Bob to put face paint on him for his camping event and to make him look like Simon Lebon in Hungry Like a Wolf. Bob agrees to face paint him, but he doesn't make his landlord specific request. But being distorted from the drugs, Calvin doesn't stay still to let Bob paint him and then Bob messes up his face paint. However, Calvin doesn't care how his face ends up. The weather gets more intense and everything starts knocking over. Bob is concerned and Mr. Fishoder runs away. To get Taking the, the weather as a sign of something, additionally, electric dance music starts playing from somewhere. Linda tries to call Bob amid the intense rainy weather from their apartment. However, there's no reception where Bob is since Calvin and other club members paid for that. Louise uh, reassures her that nothing is going to happen to Bob. Jean distracts Linda by telling her to get snacks for them and their siblings. Tina follows Linda to the kitchen. Oh God, this is very long. Lena follows to the kitchen because she's getting tired of Linda's crackers. Tina points out that Bob left in the kitchen from trying to make Mr. Fishholder a custom cocktail. While Linda pours chips into a bowl, she explains to Tina how she was tasting all the drinks Bob had made the previous night. Linda brings up cocktail parties and Tina asks her mom if those are only for are actually real since she only... She thought they only happened in films. Tina asks her mom about cocktails parties when that, and then what happens to them? What happens at them? I didn't write this. I'm sorry. Jean and Louise enter the kitchen after impatiently waiting for the snacks. Tina starts believing cocktail parties will be the rite of passage for her in the future. She starts worrying about them. Linda offers Tina a mocktail party and tells her kids to wear something fancy and meets her in the back of the living room in 10 minutes. The mom the mom brings it brings up it might be fancy as bob's party however bob this is very long however bob is having a horrible time the weather is only worsening and he he's doing everything he can keep bob he's doing everything to keep mr fish odor things from flying away when then oh my gosh when the belcher sees that the people at the docks are excavating from the boats evacuating from the boats Bob runs into Mr. Fishholder at the Sacred Circle. He sees him dancing around on with an open flame and electric dance music. Bob tries to tell his landlord how people are evacuating, but Mr. Fishholder is still high on his drugs and isn't concerned. 
Bob realizes that Calvin and the rest of the people dancing are stoned, so he takes matter into his own hands. Bob goes back into the tent and packs everything salvageable. He returns to the pier and finds that all boats sinking into the ocean. Mr. Bob returns to Mr. Fishjoder's fire pit to tell his landlord that the boats, but he does, but sees no one there. However, he does find a shirt on the ground and possibly blood on it. Bob becomes concerned. Mr. Fishjoder calls Bob from the bushes to tell him to turn off the lantern. He tells Bob about Hubert, one of the members, turned animalistic and took a bite out of Randolph's arm, hence the blood. And Hubert is now hunting them. Ra uh, Randolph and the other members gather at Mr. Fishoder's Bob, Bob's bush, and Hubert finds them. They all run away, and Mr. Fishoder and Bob hide somewhere else while the other people run away from their friend. Meanwhile, Linda and her this is like a book. Linda and her kid and her kids. <laughs> I never read it that before. Linda and her kids are all dressed up, and they are in the living room. They have drinks in their hand and they're role playing a cocktail. This is literally word for word everything that happens in the episode. Linda makes Tina and the event host. Linda pretends to be the first guest at the party and tells Tina to point out everything she did wrong. Tina doesn't get anything Linda did wrong while Jean and Louise intuitively understand all the faults. Back at the island, Bob and Mr. Fisher to run from Mr. Huber as far as they can with no reception and weapons. The Babylon League insurance doesn't cover them having guns unless they're help they are helpless. I don't know why he wrote it like that. The other people that Hubert was chasing found them. They all hear a twig snap. This is literally word for word everything. I'm just gonna skip that entire section. They were being hunted. That's all you need to know. Because that it makes no sense for me to read all this. Um, when they reach the building, Mr. Fisher's friends ambush them with a tarp. Samuel Summerbottom starts hitting them with a stick, and the other members stop stop him they tie up bob and calvin bob tries to tell the members that there might be a boat in the building that they can use to escape but they aren't convinced august sheffer this guy writes everybody's full name august sheffenheimer <laughs> this is insane does decide to go and check and he confirms there's a boat and they chose not to let mr fishholder and bob get eaten by hubert however bob tries to convince them by they shouldn't leave Hubert behind since he's their friend. They only agree that Bob's idea and Mr. Fishoder's sides with Bob. Bob becomes the bait again, and this time he volunteers himself. When they see Hubert lurking towards Bob, Bob calls the members to take out the tarp they used to surprise him and Mr. Fishoder. However, they can't find it. There's only two more paragraphs. Tina is in the kitchen at the apartment trying to avoid Linda's cocktail party lessons. Linda goes into the room to find Tina. Tina tells her mom she's worried that she won't be able to remember any of the events etiquette. They, While talking about it, Tina lists everything her mom taught her tonight. Linda impresses, expresses that as Jean and Louise come into the kitchen, Linda resumes her mocktail party. Mr. Fishholder and the rest of the Babylon League find the tarp at Hubert's shoes on Bob's right arm. They entrap Hubert, put him in a bow as a free Bob and make row make him row them home in the dinghy in the boat house as hubert turns sober he apologizes to bob for biting him and expresses that he will pay bob's medical bills hubert also suggests they go for ice cream since they reach shore bob wants to go home but the babylon league forces him to come i have never read such an intensely long synopsis for an episode 
It's literally word for word everything that happened. Let me just read you the plot um, they also had on here because it's so funny how short it is. Mr. Fisher enlists Bob to be his personal chef for a glamping trip in exclusive club Secret Island. Meanwhile, Linda gives the kids a crash course on a cocktail party etiquette. I feel like I should have just read that part. <laughs> That's basically what this episode was about. So I did find some trivia for this episode. First of all, they only have one thing on the trivia section. It says that Bob, the drink Bob makes for Mr. Fishoder, the League of ex brinerary Gentlemen is a reference to Alan Moore and Kevin O'Neill's comic book series, The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or the movie with Sean Connery that was horrible. And the title of this episode, Escape from Witch Island, is actually a play on the movie Escape from Witch Island, which I think they remade it twice already. I didn't like that movie. I'm sure people love it. I wasn't a big fan of it. So here's my takeaway from this episode. <laughs> I have never been so tired from reading that, but I am. Okay, so this episode was okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing so much because it's just so I'm just impressed by how long that full story was. OK, so the reason why it was OK, wasn't that great is because um, I feel like this is very similar to the Mr. Fisher uses Bob as a private chef many times already. Uh, literally, the last episode I did was when Mr. Sh Mr. Fisher used Bob's family for Thanksgiving and he was a private chef for that. So I think he, Mr. Fisher doesn't want to admit that Bob is actually his only good friend, I'm assuming, because he only looks for Bob, even though I'm sure there's other people that he um, rents to that are also cooks, but he doesn't call them. He just always picks Bob. He's just like his old um, workhorse, I guess. He's always ready to go when he needs him, basically. And I think he really enjoys Bob. I don't know why they don't just admit that, but what are you going to do? So this whole story basically was that Bob gets stranded on the island, Mr. Fish Odor, everyone's high, and there's a big storm, storm of ruin. And then, of course, comedy ensues. <laughs> I feel like that was the plot for this episode when they were pitching it. They're like, let's see, um, Bob on an island uh, with Mr. Fish Odor, and comedy ensues. And everybody's like, yeah, that's good. And uh, basically, comedy did not ensue because I didn't really laugh that much in this episode. There were like chuckles. My favorite line of the night was when um, <laughs> Linda asked the kids, like, how much um, how many drinks are you supposed to have at a cocktail party? And Louise says, my age plus one. <laughs> basically, everybody's there. They drink their age plus one. Jeez, how funny that is. It's like, could you imagine being like, I don't know, 60? You have 60 drinks, 61 drinks yikes or if you're like i don't know like 25 even 25 making having 26 drinks is a lot it's just crazy but uh that really cracked me up that was the uh, probably the funniest line in the entire episode for me the the whole i mean also what was really good was um bob's horrible title for his drink that uh like i don't want to say it anymore the league of ex brinerary gentlemen terrible name Terrible movie, so that was a double double fail. But when uh, Mr. Fisher renames it Ringading, I'm like, that's good. I'm actually actually want to I want to drink the gin mint and a dash of pickle juice. I wonder if it tastes good. Should that be like a dare I should do for like an upcoming episode? Eat all the weird things and drink all the weird things they mentioned on these episodes. I think it should be really funny, honestly. 
So, yeah, overall, this episode was kind of a meh episode. It's not, it wasn't hilarious and it wasn't like bad either. It was uh, okay. I mean, I, I personally have nothing negative to say about it because there was nothing really negative to say about it at all. It just wasn't one of, it wasn't iconic and I can't expect every episode to be iconic, obviously. Not every episode could be awesome, awesome, awesome. But I mean, even the, the worst Bob's Burgers episode is still better than anything the Simpsons have done in a while. And, uh, you know, most of Family Guy. <laughs> And we actually mentioned that when I did the worst episode of of uh, Bob's Burgers compared the worst episodes of Family Guy and The Simpsons, the Bob's Burgers worst episode was still miles better than the other two. But yeah, uh, this overall, I think it gets a seven out of ten. It's very mid mid episode. It wasn't the greatest greatest, and it wasn't the worst worst. I just wish it was um, had more jokes in it. I didn't. I don't like Mr. Fishshoulder's friends. That's like a big thing. I find them creepy and weird and not interesting. I did like them in the uh, last gingerbread house on the left. That was a really good episode. But even still, his friends are creepy. No matter how you look at it. They're, his friends are weird and creepy. And, uh, and it's kind of weird that they didn't even know, remember him from like that episode. Or maybe they're living in an alternate timeline. Because I don't think, I don't know if you ever know, they really don't reference too many previous episodes like when they meet people and they reenact like an entire scene again, they don't act like it's, oh, we've done this before or something like that. They just go, okay, like as if it's new still. So I don't know if maybe this episode was basically them either not remembering or just not caring. I don't know. It's just very interesting. They just didn't remember Bob right off the bat. And they still call him his chef. Which is kind of weird. I mean, I guess to them, this is chef. And for being rich people in the woods, they would, and they were supposed to be, what were they called? What was the word they used? It was some weird F word. Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, uh, flamping, which is kind of goofy. They could have just called it glamping like everybody else. They called it fancy camping instead of glamorous camping. It wasn't fancy or glamorous. It was just a 10 in the woods and they were just high on drugs. That was like their plan. I did find it weird that Linda asked for $973, the exact amount for the new condenser. I would have just asked for a thousand bucks. We had a little bit extra to put in your pocket. I mean, or at least Bob can get the money to put in his pocket. I don't know. Very mid episode, nothing bad, nothing good. It was just okay. I mean, it was fun to watch. Uh, that's about it. Really can't say much about it. <laughs> Sorry if you were expecting a big uh ending to this uh review for this episode i just wish it was more funny that's about all but it was okay i'm kind of excited for the next episode coming up on um next sunday i think it is it's going to be the raccoon king and i since i think we're going to get to see um little what was it little little king trash mouth again we haven't seen him in a while super excited so up next is the simpsons This is a synopsis for Iron Marge uh, from The Simpsons. It's season 35, episode 6. This synopsis, well, the plot summary is from simpsons.fandom.com. I'm going to read the same thing I did last time. Uh, here's the synopsis, actually. When Marge's heart is broken after a bad birthday present, Bob and Lisa must dig into their mom's past to show them how they really know her. Bob becomes, I mean, Homer becomes a neighborhood fearmonger. That's so funny I said Bob. Okay, here we go. 
So here's the plot. When Marge's birthday's with Marge's birthday tomorrow, Bart and Lisa decide to buy her a gift instead of making handmade gifts like you do every year. After watching her get laughed at by her mom, by the other moms, other <laughs> after getting money from Ned for removing leaves from the sidewalk, they go to the mall to buy her a new robe. However, they find a spy kit of the same price and buy it for themselves instead of giving Marge two ironing boards for her birthday. Unfortunately, Marge isn't happy with her gift since she already has an ironing board cover. While while playing with their new spy kit, Bart and Lisa overhear Marge tell Ned how disappointed she is with her new gift. In order to make up for that for her mom, Bart and Lisa break into her box of childhood mementos and find out that she had a parrot named Petey that was given away. They try to try they track the location to the woman who took Petey, only to be told that she left the cage open. They then notice Petey up in a tree, trapped in a box, and trapped him in a box. However, Petey turns out to be a violent and attacks Marge when they give her back to her. Marge still appreciates their gesture, however. Meanwhile, Homer starts a blog posting everything about the neighborhood. He he has a rival by he is rivaled by Agnes Skinner and they compete over who can post the most. Suddenly they both fail, fall into a hole in the park and scream for help, but everyone else left. For a force to make truce, Homer lifts Agnes out of the hole and she uses her blog to get help for him to be saved. And that's how you write a episode summary. Good job. High five. So let's see if there's any uh any any trivia. I don't think there is. Oh, yeah, there is some cultural references. The title of this episode is a reference to the trilogy Iron Man. Not sure why the bullseye, the bullseye store appears to be a parody of Target. It even says that on the tie on the bullseye screen. The itch, please billboard parodies a song bitch, please by Snoop Dogg featuring Nate Dogg in exhibit, which also went by the title trick, please on the radio version. The trivia, the character Cheryl or Cheryl is mentioned twice as having a wedding first at Nice at the niece of Vince and then at the daughter of Krista. The episode aired at 8.30 on November 12th instead of the Simpsons regular time slot of 8 o'clock, which threw me off because I was expecting this episode to air at 8 o'clock and I'm like, they're showing us Krapopolis. I'm like, oh God. But (laughs) I tried watching it again several times and every time I can't get into it, I just can't. Uh, For one, I find the fish guy really creepy. Just saying. Well, anyways, so, um, yeah, that was a really <laughs> that was a much more condensed uh, synopsis for that episode, and I I think it's pretty nice that they did that because it did a really good job of getting to all the major points of it. So let's see what I mean, here's my review for it overall. I really enjoyed it. I didn't think I was at first because I was like, oh no, another birthday episode. But hear me out, why I liked it. So first of all, they focus on the family big thumbs up. I'm very happy when they do focus on the family because that is my favorite part of the Simpsons is the family. I also enjoyed that we got a little bit more about Marge. I did like her mementos box and that fact that Petey turned out to be the the twist in this episode. We're thinking that it's going to be a loving moment between her and her bird and actuality. She's like, I hate that bird and it tried to kill me over and over and she got rid of the bird on purpose because she didn't want to see it again. I did find it funny that uh, Lisa was able to track the bird and the bird escaped like right before they got there. 
Um, I remember those little kits that they were using, the spy kits. I remember the, what was it called when I was a kid? iSpy or something. They were really into Apple when it came out. I forgot the name. It was something like, I think it was like iPhone iSpy kind of thing. Like they used like the lowercase i with the word spy. Um, I remember those were really big. They had like infrared stuff and everything. They weren't really as elaborate as the ones they got. The ones they have are really fancy. I really cracked me up when they signed up for credit card, um, like scores. They, what do you call it? They signed up for credit cards and as long as they did sign up, they automatically got an ironing board cover. But the really, the twist of it of was that Marge already had the exact same <laughs> ironing board cover. And the fact that she was ironing, I think it was Homer's shirt. And then it, it was so cheap. It transferred over onto the shirt. <laughs> that was so funny. Um, there was a lot of really funny, clever things. Uh, this is one of the few times that The Simpsons actually uses... Um, sorry, there's a motorcycle flying through here. Um, it's one of the few times The Simpsons actually used uh, cell phones in a natural way. I was like really impressed by that. I was like, how good is that they actually use it in a way that wasn't like cringy. So we have Homer being like the neighborhood watchdog kind of thing. I know a lot of people have those neighborhood apps where they can like tattle on their neighbors basically anonymously or something, I guess. I don't use them. But they use those and they like basically tattle in the whole neighborhood and like say, this is suspicious, this is weird or whatever. So Homer tries to one-up everyone to be on the top leaderboard for um, his area. And uh, him and Agnes become like um, basically kind of like they're making up stories just to get up the board. So Homer was saying... There's like a leaky uh, sprinkler head and I'm like, this is going to cause a sinkhole. This is going to do this and all this stuff like overdramatic because he just really wants people to be terrified of everything because they terrify so many people at the park. It scares everybody away. And magically, there was a sinkhole that act, that they that happened because of the sprinkler heads. And, uh, you know, they, they had to work their stuff out together to survive. And I thought that was really funny and very smart. I also like when Homer has uh, an activity where he's competitive. It always comes out funny to me. So this is actually a very interesting thing. I want to give this episode an 8 out of 9, 8 out of 10, 8 out of 9, could you imagine? 8 out of 10. I really, truly enjoyed it. It was really good. It didn't get a perfect, it didn't get a perfect or a 9 because there was some parts that were kind of flat in this episode, but the, it, the, the jokes really does that do make up for those flat moments. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So it got an eight out of 10. I'm, I was shocked how well written it was. And I guess it was written by Mike Scully. He's a longtime writer for the Simpsons. Great job. And uh, also they said that this episode was originally produced for season 34 and it got held back for season 35. Interesting, right? Well, anyways, uh, yeah, that's everything for this episode. And up next is Family Guy. Family Guy. All right. So once again, I went to familyguy.phantom.com for this episode. Sorry, I have to keep using them as reference because I didn't have time to write a summary because of being insanely busy over Sunday. We're having Thanksgiving early in the family, so we're doing it um early because everybody's gonna be busy so we're getting things ready really early and plus there's a lot of I had to do a lot of painting and things it's just a lot of stuff going on so that's the only reason i didn't have enough time to do a synopsis so i'm sorry but um these 
these fandom ones are pretty funny. So, I mean, funny in a sense that like, they're very detailed and very um, inconsistent. Like the Simpsons one is very, you know, well-written and quick. And the Bob's Burgers one is very long and detailed. So let's find out how the Family Guy one is. So this is going to be uh, season 22, episode five, baby, it's cold outside. There is no summary for this. There are only a plot. Uh, you know, like there's no synopsis, only a plot summary. It says Peter and Lois celebrate their anniversary. That's like the only thing they had that short. Here we go. Peter forgets to plan everything for his and Lois's anniversary, but is saved by Samus, who offers to let Peter borrow one of his boats and row Lois around Quahog Harbor. The date goes well, but while the two are skinny dipping, they are approached by a shark. Terrified, Peter flees to dry land, taking the boat with him. While Lois is brought back by what turns out to be a dolphin, despite surviving, Lois is appointed in Peter for not being manly enough to look out for her. None of her, none of Peter's attempts to make it up for his, to his wife work, and Quagmire gets the idea to reenact the date night in order to fake Peter being the hero. The plan fails, and Lois quickly figuring it out, though she can't bring herself to be upset, having discovered that she was the true alpha in her in her life all along. Meanwhile, this is a secondary story. Meanwhile, during a walk, Stewie and Brian come across a mini fridge laying among a neighbor's trash, which is still in decent condition. Stewie keeps the fridge in his room, despite Brian repeatedly telling him that he's too little to do so. So he decides to convert his room into a college dorm complete with a roommate. Brian stands by himself that keeping the fridge isn't Oh, he stands by the belief that keeping the fridge isn't a good idea, but is unable to stop Stewie from throwing a college party. There, Stewie confronts Brian for being unusually concerned about his safety and convinces him to loosen up. But while they're cutting loose, the mini fridge is left cracked open. Then it ends up freezing the whole room and everyone in it, leaving Brian devastated upon finding Stewie dead. You put them dead. That's really interesting. Stewie dead. So here are some references. The title references a Christmas song, Baby is Cold Outside. Peter references Mad Magazine. He stylized after its mascot, Walford, Alfred E. Newman. He also uses Alfred's catchphrase, Why me wor what me worry? Oh my God, I can't believe I messed that up. When Peter gets to um, in trouble for banning Lois, he tries to change the subject by referencing Anne Hayes' car accident that resulted in her death. Frozen Stewie's expression and subsequent appearances of the photograph reference the 1980s version of The Shining by Stephen King and is accompanied by Midnight, The Stars, and You by Al Boley and Ray Noble and his orchestra. And here's the trivia, if there is any, because I don't think there is any. Oh, there is. Wow, there's a lot. Whoa, there's a lot. Okay. So, yeah, this is going to be a lot of trivia. Peter owns a real doll, a brand of life-size blank dolls. I can't say the word. But after having never uh, figured out how to empty the original one, Peter purchases a second one. While Brian asks whether Peter remembers what today is, Peter in Peter's two initial guesses are Don Donald Sutherland's birthday and National Dotson Day. Oof, that's a hard word to say. Um, neither Stewie nor Brian know how old Donald Sutherland is, and Stewie suggests that he looks good for his age due to the fact he never looks good. Stewie claims that he's unable to tell time. Upon finding the time, which is really weird because he made a time machine. Upon finding the mini fridge, Stewie and Brian come across Dane DeVito, who claims it's a normal size fridge and have to nab it before he can. Wagmar claims, this is like another synopsis of the episode. 
Quagmire claims to know about Peter's anniversary since he follows Lois. Peter is assuming he's referencing Instagram, but Quagmire does not elaborate. Throughout the brainstorming sections, sessions, Joe rambles about three flavored popcorn canisters that can be found in Indiana, which is all he only seems to care about. The same popcorn is eaten by the guys at the end when they watch Peter and Lois have relations. <laughs> I had to put that part in. Samus offers a row alongside Peter and Lois playing the brandy on the accordion, but Peter declines. Stewie keeps his fridge, a mini fridge full of open with, and, oh, this is a weird phrase. Stewie keeps his mini fridge fresh with an open box of army hammer baking powder. I don't know how that's a, a trivia. The, the mini fridges malfunction to the point where the contents are either lukewarm or frozen solid. Brian feel leaves fire emojis on all of Dua Lipa's Instagram posts while she's no longer responding since she became popular. Peter and Lois date a crew. A cruise ship is stranded nearby due to a COVID-19. One passenger reports they are now defecating in the sink while other asks if the election is over yet. Another states that he's still enjoying the experience being from Iowa. I am not reading all of these. There's literally way too many. And these are not even facts. I'm trying to find one fact. Let me find one fact in here. Nope. No, that's not a fact. No, that's not a fact or trivia. Oh, here's one. Stewie's bedtime is 7.50 p.m. Uh, let's see. Nope. Oh, uh, Gee Blast Ride of Valkyries by Richard Wagner. Uh... Oh, Peter hires Chris Daughtry uh, on Cameo as part of a date night reenactment. Peter's Venmo payment to Daughtry didn't work, and he had an alternative payment. He needs to have another alternative payment, which technically isn't a fact. Uh, let's see. Nope. No, that's it. Those are all the facts. The rest were all just like rehashing the episode. I don't think they... Well, it says notes slash trivia, so maybe that was what they were trying to do. That seems like a really weird mix for familyguide.fandom.com that's not what i would have done well anyways here's my review for the episode do i want to okay i do so here's my review for the episode. <laughs> so peter's anniversary situation has been done many times already i mean to the point where it's it's predictable he does something stupid and then lois finds out it's stupid gets mad at him and they make up at the end fine it's perfectly usable plot device i mean i just wish they would stop using it um another overused plot device is peter i mean stewie and brian um arguing over college things stewie um as many times as already he's done as many times already have turned his room into a college frat boy's house i mean he's done it when brian stayed over he had a pet mongoose i think or something like that and uh, Stewie did it again when I guess they were I think he was high on fruity pebbles or something I forgot something weird um and Brian turned it into a frat house at one point it's like they, a common trope they've done many times we didn't really see anything for uh what's his name Chris or Meg this episode they were they didn't even exist which is really interesting so the whole um Brian Stewie side plot was bland it wasn't very good. It wasn't very funny. I really wanted it to be funny, though, because it could have ended up being funny. The ending was like a tired trope. I mean, this is something they've done in Simpsons um, recently. We were watching a Halloween episode. 
they actually referenced the shining but it was done in a way where it was elegant and funny this was just like a bunch of like random like uh, reenactments of scenes of the shining like the freezing part which is already old it seems like someone saw the um like gif of homer freezing and they're like oh let's reenact that or something and then the ending with the pictures where they were zooming in from the shining it wasn't funny either it was just like what is happening why are they doing this the um there was just a lot of like not really funny moments it was overall okay episode it was very average um, I'm trying to think of what I could say that's positive here. Hmm. Uh, the, this episode aired after um, Bob's Burgers. That's uh, it, it's all. Oh yeah. Another positive was that it was um, on its normal time slot, so no one missed it. That wanted to watch it. Uh, what else? Oh, this is actually the fifth episode. Um, everybody else has been on on the sixth episode. So, if that's not a hint of what's going on with Family Guy, what else? Um, this episode was in color. That's another positive. What else? Um, it's uh, it was free, available on uh, network television. It's uh, it's on Hulu right now. You can watch it. And what else? Um, hmm, another positive. Um, uh, people got paid. They they were actually got they got a check from this, which is nice. That I mean, happy for them. They got a check. Uh, they. They were able to produce a, a, a work of art um, that was uh, bought and uh, on TV. And they left with a, uh, a nice check in their pocket. Good for them. And those are all my positives for this episode. Overall, I give this episode a 5 out of 10. It's watchable. That's all I have to say. <laughs> it's watchable. Is it good? That's up for debate, but it's watchable. So yeah, that was a interesting episode of Family Guy. And here's the wrap up for tonight. Today's overall winner was The Simpsons with Iron Marge. Surprisingly well done episode. Very interesting. Second place would be Escape from Witch Island by Bob's Burgers. A very mid episode, nothing bad, nothing good. It was just okay. I mean, I'll watch Escape from Witch Island more than the number three, which was Baby is Cold Outside by Family Guy. That was not as good. Um, but people got paid. So, yeah, I'm really happy. This uh, this uh, this wasn't the greatest night of um, animated comedies on Fox, but it wasn't bad. I mean, it was totally a watchable night. Nothing, nothing offensive to watch. Nothing bad. And uh, I liked it. I just wished I liked it more. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I had fun. Um, I just wish I had more time to write my own synopsis for these episodes. Synopses. So hopefully I'll have that available next week. I don't think I. Oh, yeah, that's our Thanksgiving, but it's fine. I'll write it early. No, I can't write it early. This is, are, it might be a little late. How about that? It might be a little late. Sorry, but. This Wednesday, I will have a review for a Simpsons episode, so you can get prepared for that. And on Bob's Burgers Fridays, I'll have another Bob's Burgers episode, and I'll be able to talk about... They're all Thanksgiving ones, so we're going to have a Thanksgiving episode this Wednesday and a Thanksgiving episode for Bob's Burgers on Friday. I'm trying to think what else to talk about, but that's pretty much it. 
And don't forget to follow me at podcasterdying.com. And uh, I had a chance to uh, talk to my family about my uh, uh, my upcoming uh, story that I'm doing for Liam La Vida Loca, which is another family comedy that I'm writing. They all liked it. They said it was very cute, which um, is a good sign because I try to make them look cute. And they said that they all enjoyed the backstories of all the characters, which I think I'm going to do an episode of just that because I was surprised how long and detailed my stories were because mentally when I write them, they're short. Like I'm like, oh, I'm really truncating a lot of this. And I'm thinking it's like the Simpsons synopsis and reality. It was the boss burger synopsis. That's how it ended up being. And I'm like, I'm talking for a lot. I was in there like, wow, this is a very long synopsis. And I only did like two characters. I'm like, I need to like cut back, cut down. So yeah, I had a, a lot of ideas going on. <laughs> but that's the whole point. I wanted to get some feedback. So I'll do the same thing here. I'll read what I did so far and then we'll get some feedback and I'll edit, edit, edit until we get it good. So until the next episode, bye bye <laughs>